This is Haunted America Radio. With your host, Al Shepard. And now, Haunted America Radio. Hello everyone, Al Shepard here. This is an interview I conducted with Paul Rademacher, who was then the executive director of the Monroe Institute, back in August of 2009. This is Haunted America with your hosts, Josh Mantello and Al Shepard on Blog Talk Radio. Discuss today's topics, call 646-716-5896. And now, Haunted America with Josh Mantello and Al Shepard.
um, to escape the heat of Washington, D.C. in the summertime and vacation there um, just a few weeks after Abe got shot. Um, and to this day, supposedly, they're still vacationing up there. Anyways, what we have scheduled so far, obviously, I'll be speaking. Um, I'll probably be doing your Ghost Hunting 101 lecture and the um, lecture on paranormal photography, which most of you have been listening to the show regularly have already heard kind of just over the air. Hello. Oh, my lord, it's Al. Where did you come from? Uh, I think... Blog Talk has a problem with their switchboard or something tonight because I had to actually call in on the phone. So uh, <laughs> I think no, actually, just, actually, I've been here the whole time. I just wanted to see you sweat. Yeah, well, pretty good. I talked out my butt for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, 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 that's, that's a hard thing to do. But anyways. Um, yeah, I had that same problem. I was trying to call in 10 minutes before the show, and every time I would call in, I would get into the host queue, and it would kick me out about 15 seconds later. Um, well, I was in here just fine, and it, and everything appeared it was working all right, except uh, obviously nobody was hearing me. Oh, and I was like, oh, i got one minute to go. Where are you? <laughs> Hello, 30 seconds. Where'd you go? Anyway, this is just kind of blowing up for about 15 minutes about my uh, upcoming event up at the Equinox Resort and Hotel, which is in kind of your neck of the woods, um, about probably about an hour away from you. Um, kind of get the Actually, out 25 for that. minutes. Yeah, there you go. Beautiful place, five, you know, four diamond hotel and resort, haunted by the Lincoln family themselves. November 6th and 7th. I hope everybody can attend. I'll be speaking. I got Ron Kolick, a past guest of this show of the New England Ghost Project, and his crew are going to be coming up and speaking, and you'll be able to get a chance to investigate with them. I got Joseph A. Citro, who is a um, novelist and nonfiction writer in the in the ghost paranormal realm. He uh, He's written, I think, six novels and seven books about haunted Vermont. Uh, incredible guy. I got him booked up to go, and I just added... Probably this morning, uh, Michael Baker, another past guest of our show. Um, he's going to be doing some workshops on how to capture EVPs and some of the modern-day technologies. And we will screen the film, 14 Degrees. And again, every night for four hours, you get a chance to wander around all the most haunted locations and rooms in that place to uh, investigate for your own. And all, the, all your speakers and guests, you know, you're some of the best ghost hunters in New England, will be on hand to help you out, assist you, and give you a hint throughout the night. That sounds like that's, that's going to be awesome fun. I can see that already. Uh, details will be coming soon. Um, I have This is still pretty much in the very infant stage. Uh, I have a final meeting, sit down with the, with the people up there on, I believe, Thursday. We're going to hash out the details, get some prices up. And we'll, we'll next Sunday I'll probably have all the details on how much it's going to cost you, and a lineup and everything along those lines. There'll be package deals for a, you'll be able to get a room and attend the event for a, a discounted price through the Equinox, or you'll be able to get through me via PayPal Friday, Saturday, or combination ticket at a, at a separate price. Right now I'm looking at probably about 100 to 120 dollars to attend the entire weekend. Um, I'm not too sure where Equinox is going to place the prices for the event and room. All right. Can you hear me now? 
I can hear you perfectly clear. Well, things got unplugged and everything else around here, I swear. But, you no, know, that <laughs> sounds like a cool event. I'm looking forward to that one, uh, especially uh, Michael Baker. He's got some cool tricks up his sleeve. I know he's a he's a real scientific investigator. And, uh, yeah, you know, for something like this, yeah, and for something like this, I I'm, I'm almost might have to tell him to kind of almost dumb it down. Uh, some of his topics are really great for your season. People have been paranormal investigating for a long time. I want this to, you know, anybody listening um, to know that this isn't an event just for people who hunt ghosts on a regular basis. If you've never hunted a ghost a day in your life, um, this is something new to you. You just want to go out and maybe experience something. You're more than welcome to attend. This isn't going to be over your head. We're going to teach you how to do what we do, and all you need to bring is a, a flashlight, maybe a voice recorder, whatever you can fit in your pockets, whatever you want to bring, and you'll be able to wander around and, and probably get your first ghost hunt under your belt again with, you know, some like I said, some of the top-notch um, seasoned paranormal investigators throughout New England. Well, I can't wait till we uh, hear more, uh, even more details on this. Now, what's the date again? It'll be uh, Friday, November 6th, Saturday, November 7th. Um, there might be some sort of wrap-up thing on the the 9th of November, the Sunday. That those the details, the schedule, and all that is, is still in the workings. The prices will have probably next week, and tickets will most likely be on sale um, by the end of next week. All right. Well, the next week's show, you ought to have all kinds of uh, good information. And I'll have a second event, which will be right around the same time, um, a lower price at the Houghton Mansion with um, a nationally known, internationally known um, UK um, ghost hunter, TV star. Uh, That's those details. That's something new that's coming up, and that'll be coming up as we talk, too. And it most likely will be a Halloween night type thing. Uh Uh-oh, did I lose you again, Al? Oh, no, I got that. hung up on. I got hung up on this time. And that's what kept happening to me earlier. It kept hanging up on me. I definitely think there's some problems in the blog talk system. I um just on the web page alone, I keep getting. I kept trying to log into the blog talk page just to get into our page and uh and look into the chat room, and I kept getting kicked out of that. And about every ten minutes, the chat room tells me somebody else is using my username to sign in. So. Uh, I think there's definitely a problem on the blog talk end. Uh, I guess these are the things you get when you use internet radio. Uh, unforeseen problems, you know, and who knows where in, in this world as a server. Yeah, well, things, you know, internet's still new technology-wise. There's always new stuff coming out. So, uh, you know, we're the guinea pigs. We'll get the bugs worked out for them. And uh, who knows, maybe we can move forward with our uh, Haunted America TV. <laughs> Maybe there's a few new avenues out there. Um, there's a business call I got to make to somebody, um, anyways, and he actually just launched a paranormal TV webpage. Um, and I know you got your paranormal TV webpage. There's a few of them out there. If we can get on those, um, who knows? Maybe we'll be doing this live over some webcams before we know it. That's a scary thought, considering what we look like. But uh, I could I could wear like a Jason mask, you know? It'd be all right. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be an improvement. Um, <laughs> did you uh, get those MP3s I sent you from last week's show? Were you able to clean them up here or anything? Or? I, I did get them. I cleaned them up a little bit. Um, unfortunately, the later half of my week did turn into a 
frenzy of business and job interviews and other stuff. So <laughs> I, I was going to clip them and try and send them back to you, but I ended up being on my computer um, almost as if I was in an eight-hour office um, trying to doing some planning and, and phone calls to all these Emails that these people had to mine up for this thing up at Equinox. So that, that got put to the pack burner, and I wasn't able to get out the clips to you. But I was able to hear the things that you said you heard. Um, they were there. Um, hopefully next week, as things calm down for me, and the, the buzz of all this stuff hitting me all at once um, cools down, and we'll, we'll get to them next week. Um, yeah, next, week I, next, next week, I do have a guest, um, 99%, you know, penned in. Um, I, I'm going to be calling him Monday and uh, arranging a few things with him for um, for uh, invest with a client out in his neck of the woods. And he said he'd love to be a guest next week. I just got to give him the final date, time, and and a uh, number to call in. Um, that'll be Steve, the Reverend Steve Wilson. Um, I don't have his bio right here in front of me, but he is a Reverend in the Native American shaman arts, psychic, intuitive, um, Reiki master. Incredible guy. Uh, for those of you who listen to the show, know that I'm the one of the bigger skeptics when it comes to people claiming psychic abilities and stuff along those lines. This is one of the, the few people I've met in person who, if he tells me there's a spirit next to me, I'll believe him. He's incredible, awesome psychic. Um, he does great stuff. I can't wait to get him on the show and see what he has to say out here. And I have a lot of questions I want to ask him that I never really get a chance to ask him when we're kind of doing business um, investigating stuff. He's working with me on Wednesday night um, with a client who's having a problem with a, a spirit in their house. And, you know, that's his bag of tricks is to have spirit removal. Mine is just documented. I'm bringing him in. He's with his, he has an entire crew of psychics and intuitives where they go in and are, are able to bless houses and do spirit removal. So hopefully uh, it should be a really good show next week. Good. Send me uh, send me the info when you get it, and I'll get it posted on the uh, the page, so people can read about it. Uh, also, I've been in touch with uh, John Corkum, who is a uh, paranormal investigator and uh, has a little TV show on the uh, internet, and also has to do with the Monroe Institute, and he's going to be joining us in uh, September. So. It'll be kind of a part two to today's show. Will be continued in September uh, when he gives us more of the uh, uh, perception of how he uses the Monroe Institute in actually uh, ghost hunting and uh, ghost investigations, things like that. So, now I, um, yeah, go ahead. I say I already um, during my my time alone there um, kind of went over a little bit about the Monroe Institute, but. You've really been the one in contact with our guest and have really gotten the research about the Monroe Institute. Um, I kind of got through it the best I could. Um, why don't you, you know, kind of give us the, the whole lowdown on our guest and um, the Monroe Institute and what they do? Well, uh, Paul Rademacher is, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. I'll find out when he gets here. Um, is the executive director of the Monroe Institute. The Monroe Institute was founded by Robert Monroe back in the 1950s when he was vice president of NBC Radio in charge of uh, shows such as The Shadow and things like that. Um, he founded this institute actually to, I believe, 
to start experimenting on how helping people learn while they sleep. But in order to do that, the first thing he had to do was teach people how to go to sleep and on cue, pretty much. So, so they worked on some um, audio CDs that could relax people and put them in certain frames of consciousness. And over the last 50 years, that has grown way far away from what they originally started doing. They started finding some, some very interesting things when you start putting audio in your ears. So I don't want to give it away. Uh, I'll let Paul uh, tell us about that here. Uh, i got to give him a, a call here in just a few minutes. Before we get to that, though, I, I had the chance to... Uh, interview someone last night on their experiences at the Hoosick Tunnel, which is right down the road from your Houghton Mansion there in North Adams. Is For those who don't know, it's a five-mile-long train tunnel with a reputation of being haunted. Uh, how much do you know about that, Josh? Well, uh, quite a bit, because I generally get asked about it a lot, because it is our haunted neighbor, and it is probably the most haunted location in the state of Massachusetts. First, let me throw out this disclaimer. It is still a very active train tunnel. Um, by going on its property, you are trespassing and subject to arrest. Um, please don't go there saying Haunted America Radio or Berkshire Paranormal or anybody involved said it was okay to go there. It, it is posted as a no trespassing area. They do kind of look away at it during the day, but at night they will get you out of there. Um, it's a four and three-quarter mile tunnel. Uh, nearly 200 people lost their lives building it. Uh, for those of you from the Massachusetts area, I know what the big dig is. This was the big dig of the 1800s, um, costing millions of dollars and greatly over budget. Uh, mass, um, it was the first place nitroglycerin dynamite was ever used. Um, so it was an experimental thing. Hundreds of people lost their lives building this tunnel, and it was an engineering feat. Think of the technology in the 1870s and you know, what they had to try and line it up. They built the tunnel from two ends, and when they met, they were within an inch. The two ends met within an inch of each other, um, just using lining towers over the mountain. So it, it, in itself, it was an engineering marvel. Um, I've heard great ghost stories from inside there. I've been inside it um, with the railroad company a few times. Uh, very spooky, scary place. Very good. Well, I'm going to... Uh fire up this little little quick interview I did last night with him. and uh, uh, while I'm doing that I'm going to see if I can get our guest on the phone at the same time here so uh, here's uh, my little interview alright this is Al I'm here with a band called the Blue Pages who let's see your name is James yes alright now it's about what a month ago or so you about guys came up here and played in Bennington and after the show, you went down to the Hoosick Tunnel, right? So it was about Correct. midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning? About, we got there at about 1 a.m. All right. So you, you got to so, tell me what happened when you got there. So we get up there, and the weird thing is, like, because, you know, you drive down a big hill to get to the Hoosick Tunnel. Yeah. And the first thing you notice is, like, um, you see, like, there's no, you don't see any foxes anywhere, like, on the road, anywhere around, like, you know, the um, city or, or whatever, but then right when you go down the specific hill, there's, like, tons of foxes just running around like crazy, and they're, um, so you drive down, and there's, like, you, you walk on, and right, right when you get down, there's, like, tons of, um, fireflies also everywhere, right. and you can see this little black, the light shuts off, like, um, right where, like, in 20 feet past that is where the Hoosie Tunnel is, and you can't even see the thing, and you have to walk down the, the train tracks, so, 
We get off and now you're on the Florida Mass side, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, the Florida Mass. So we um we stop off to get out to get out there and first like nobody would go with me, so I just started walking by myself and I was like, Screw this, this is so freaky. So I got um I got I went back there and got um my drummer and um, our merch guy to come with us. So they, they came with us and they started, we started walking up and all of a sudden, because I, I read a lot of online blogs about it and like, it's pretty rare for a train to pass by, you know, and yeah. like, but all of a sudden like, um, there's no lights or nothing, we just see a light down in the tunnel and first of all, I was like, what is that, what is that? And finally, um, it, we, you start to hear it and it's, a train starts coming, so like, I hadn't even got close to the thing yet, but like, the train goes by, it passes by, which is pretty weird itself. So we start to walk up there, we're walking up there, and it's like, um, it's crazy because like, you know, in a lot of Asian cultures, like foxes are the way the spiritual world, a lot of the times, you know, they're yeah. like really mythical creatures, and there's like, they're running around everywhere, like, they're running by you and stuff, and there's tons of fireflies. So you start to walk up, and right when the, um, all of a sudden the trees start to cover, and then you can't see the sun, the moon anymore, everything stops right there. The light stops, you can't see anything past that. The, um, no fireflies. No fireflies past that. They're all sitting there, and then they just stop right there where that light is. And you walk past the light, and all of a sudden, just like all you hear is like the electricity from the um, the tunnel going off. Yeah. And so we start walking up there, walking up there, and we're like 10 feet away, and like um, the guys behind me stop, and we're kind of like arguing about like, come on, let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep going. And we get up there, and like, and all of a sudden the train light, the train starts to um, lights start going off again. There's another train's coming. The lights going off. It's blinking, going. Ding! Loud, the lights are going off everywhere, and we wait, we wait, we wait. There's no train coming, there's no train sight. It's still like, um, we're sitting there, we wait for like a good like 15 minutes. This we're is like there. what, one o'clock in the morning? By this time, it's like 1 30 a.m. We're sitting there waiting for the train, um, and it's just nothing comes, nothing ever comes. So then we're sitting there arguing, like, all right, screw this, turn around. So we, we, we turn around to go back, and right when we turn around, we say, all right, we're done with this, we're going back. Exactly right when that happens, the lights, just where the lights were going off, the sound stops. Everything stops right when we start walking back, like in that instance. And there's a guy sitting in the tracks underneath this light. There's one light in the place. Uh, this, I mean, it's just down, it's about, uh, I'd say, 30 yards down, um, kind of close to where we parked the car. And there's a guy just standing there staring at us. And we're like, what is going on here? We're kind of freaking out because we're like, I don't know if this is like just some guy who has a gun, who has something like, you know, we're like... Yeah, because that end of the tunnel is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's an, it's an, it's an older man, and he's just sitting there, and this is, this is a, like, it's like between 1.30 and 2 a.m., you know, when this, is, when this is going on. So it's like, you know, if a man's out here, why is he... And this is, uh, what was it, a Thursday night? It was a Thursday night, so it's yeah. like, what is a man doing out here at, at a Thursday night? And we weren't being, you know, like, loud, and we were super quiet, so it's just like... And we weren't even... I wasn't even, like, had a flashlight, so nobody could have seen it, you know? I mean, I had one with me, but I wasn't shining it, you know? And like, um, and so we're like, what is this man doing out here? And so as I, he's just staring at us, and we're stopped, and we're staring at him. So we start to walk towards him, and as we walk towards him, he's still looking at us, but backing up. He doesn't turn the back up and make any signals. He's just hands down by his side, staring at us, moving backwards. And we're just like, holy crap. And like, so um, I start to move to the right, because I'm trying to get towards the woods in case like, you know, if it's a real person, then I can like run through the woods or something. Or like, I don't know, you know? And so like, as I move to the right, he's still moving at, like looking at us, I'm moving to the opposite side, moving to the left, just moving backwards, backwards, backwards. And there's an electrical unit right there, those big gray ones. And he just walks behind that and disappears into the woods. 
and we didn't see like anything after that and like so we get back there and the, the weirdest part was our singer and bass player were still in the car and they had the window one of the windows was down and they were staring what the light was they said they did not see a guy standing there at all they didn't hear any sound and the sound was super loud you know it's like and the light was so loud it was so flashing it's like you can't miss it you know and it's like they didn't hear or see anything and so we were just like oh probably gonna get out of here and so we just like called out that welcome to the haunted hoosier yeah. tunnel we actually went back there another time and it was like it was sort of misty when we got out same thing lots of foxes just in just by the hoosier tunnel and like um lots of um like lots of fireflies again they stop at the light so we get out and start walking again and right when we get to the black part where the light cuts off again yeah. and like um, all you can hear is the electrical unit. All of a sudden, a, like a storm just flies in right there, and it's like lightning striking everywhere, just like saying, "Hey, don't come in here." <laughs> you know, so we're like, we're like, especially all electrical unit and stuff, because you can't, like, once you get to that point, like you can't hear anything anymore, except for like, it's so, it's only like people walking around you. That's, and that's a freaky place. And there's like little rocks, and it seems like eyes are looking at you everywhere, and it's like super freaky. So like, right when the lightning start going off, we turn around again. So we haven't even been able to go in. Every time we've gone there, it's like, as soon as we get to that point, it's like something happens. It says, can't come in here. It's crazy. I, I, yeah. From what I remember, it's like 128 people died in that, the making of that tunnel. And it's over, been, around, a little less than 200 died since, since it, then. It's crazy. So, but, uh, all right. I appreciate you telling your story. And, I hope uh, I wasn't mumbling too much. No, not at all. All right. Well, that was my little interview with uh, James from the band The Blue Pages and their experience at the... Uh, at the Hoosick Tunnel. What do you think, Josh? Well, that sounds a lot like a lot of the experiences um, I've heard over the years. Um, one of my favorites is, and they talk about, you know, the, a guy with a light. Um, the the Probably the, the main ghost that people generally hear, hear about or people see in there is the lantern man, as they call it, and they think he's an old uh, track walker. Um, they'll be walking through the tunnel, and they'll see a... Um, a light coming at them as if somebody's carrying like a flashlight or a lantern and then it just kind of disperses and disappears as it gets close enough to actually see maybe the person. That's crazy. Um, for those of you who watched the first season of The Ghost Adventures, I believe episode four had both the uh, Houghton Mansion and the Hoosick Tunnel uh, on that episode. Well, right now we've got on the phone here our very special guest. We're really glad to have him here. And... Uh, and I know I'm going to screw this up, Paul, so I'm going to have you say your own last name. <laughs> well, you're not, you're not very brave for a ghost hunter, are you? I'll tell you. Well, uh, well I've been debating for a week now. Is it Rademacher, Rademacher? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, nobody, just so you know, nobody ever gets it right, but it's called it's Rademacher. Rademacher. Okay. That's right. No. That's right. All right. And you are the author of Spiritual Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, and also the executive director of the Monroe Institute, and I uh, definitely want to talk to you about both things here. Great. Um, I didn't get as far into your book as I wanted to. It, it seems like once I, I started and got going, the local radio station uh, here called me up and asked me to help them out part-time, and I've been working 60 hours a week for the last two weeks. Uh, oh my so, gosh! Uh, I didn't get as far into it as I wanted to, but I did get far enough to get intrigued. I'll tell you that. So, well, good, good. Tell tell us a little bit about about you. Um, I know you started out as a uh, 
a religious uh, with a religious upbringing, and then I believe it was in your early 20s you decided uh, hitchhiking across the country would be a good idea. Yeah, I did. I did. I I was brought up in a family that I wouldn't say they were religious by any means, but uh, my mother was a uh, Presbyterian and my father was a Catholic, and so we kind of went opposite directions on Sunday mornings. So. Um, I, I always sort of was intrigued with uh, my father's Catholic church, but I, I never could go there to see what was going on, so it was always a great mystery to me. But, uh, you know, my father was an engineer, and uh, I figured that his ideas about uh, religion were pretty conventional, until one day he came to me with this book, and it was uh, T. Lobsangrapa's The Third Eye, and it was a story of a Tibetan monk and growing up in Tibet and, and these extraordinary adventures that he was having. And my dad, you know, he says to me, you know, if this book is true, then this is really interesting. And I started reading it, and I, and I was blown away that something like this was even possible because there weren't many people that were talking about this kind of thing. And so I was even more blown away that my engineer dad would have some, some point some kind of use in it. So I was really uh, got intrigued with this whole issue of spirituality and and what it might mean uh, for me personally. Uh, I think that in my in my early 20s, I, I sort of had a philosophy of life where I wanted to uh, grab for all the gusto I could get. I wanted adventures, uh, and I thought the best way to do that would be to have a philosophy that said if something scared me, it probably was a good thing to do. And one of the things that scared me the most was uh, the idea of hitchhiking. And it just so happened about that time that my sister was moving from Arizona out to Tucson, excuse me, moving from Ohio out to Tucson, Arizona. And so I helped her load up the U-Haul truck, and we drove the three days out to Tucson and then unpacked the truck. And then I stuck my, I went out onto the road and just kind of stuck my thumb out, and I decided rather than going back to, straight back to Pennsylvania, I'd go west and up through California, down to Yosemite National Park, and then, and then back to Pennsylvania. <clears throat> but... One of the things that was most striking to me about that experience was I was somewhere in the middle of the desert, and and I I got picked up by this uh, trucker who turned out to be one of the original Hells Angels, and and he he was telling me all kinds of wonderful stories that I was uh, just completely enthralled by. And it seemed like the two of us struck up this friendship that, that started right away and lasted for about four or five hours. And then he dropped me off in Big Sur, California. And in Big Sur, I felt this tremendous loneliness come over me as he was driving away because I really missed him already. But as I was standing there, I also had this tremendous sense of vulnerability because the sun was setting. And when the sun starts to set in that area of California, it gets cold really quick. And I didn't have any place to stay for the night, and I had no idea what was going to happen. And I realized that I'd gotten what I came for, which was that I was scared. I was really scared. And then in the midst of that, all at once, there was this shift that happened. And the the redwoods around me seemed to come to life, and and the the beams of sunlight that were slanting through the leaves began to take on this ambiance of life. And I felt myself sort of merging with the environment around me. And all of the separations that I normally felt from the world completely disappeared. And I went into this mystical experience where it seemed as if the earth was actually embracing me. And I felt at that point in my life 
more safe than I've ever felt at any other time. And that was the irony of it. Here I was in the most vulnerable of positions, having no idea what was going to happen to me, and yet I felt this complete safety. And so for me, it was one of the first times that I began to realize that there's a whole lot more to this world and this environment than we ordinarily uh, allow ourselves to see. All right. Now I know uh, there was a car accident or something you, you had not too long after that as well, right? Right. Yeah, I did. And that was, um, which is probably the second part of the story, because here I was feeling this tremendous uh, sense of safety at this point. And a little while later, uh, this young woman came along and picked me up in her car. And we were driving along Highway 1, which if you've ever been on Highway 1, it weaves in and out of the coastline. And to the right, if you're heading north, the, the mountains just go seemingly straight up into the sky. And off to the left, it's uh, a sheer drop-off into the Pacific Ocean. We were coming around a bend in the road, and the sun was setting right at the horizon, and it blinded us as we were coming around that turn. And then right at that point in the road, there was this huge boulder. And we hit the boulder, and the car rolled over three times. And it was one of those moments where I was sure, absolutely sure, that we were going to go over the edge and that we were going to uh, die. There was just no question about it. But for some reason, the car rolled straight down the road, three times. I didn't have a seat belt on. I just put my hand against the roof and, and we ended up upside down and I looked over at her and I asked her if she was okay and, and she asked me if I was okay. We were both all right. We got out of the car and then right across the road, a, a scenic overlook, there was this guy in a um, one of those motor homes and he took us in and he dropped us off in San Jose uh and then he took me on up to San Francisco. We went down to Yosemite National Park. And then he drove me all the way back to to Minnesota in one ride. And not only that, but the guy was a gourmet cook. And he would he would put me in front in the steering wheel and he'd have me drive while he'd be cooking things in the back. And it was just one of those, one of those incredible confirmations that, that I indeed was in absolutely great hands. That Yeah. I mean, it, it just seems like everything – fell into place for you just when you needed it. I mean, you, you'd have a bad experience immediately followed by a, a good one or something. Uh, yeah, that seemed to me the way learning. it was. And, and yeah. yeah. And again, it was just a, a real big learning for me that uh, this sense of spirituality that um, is so important and uh, permeates the world is available uh, to an ordinary guy like me, and I, I think it's probably available to anyone as well. Okay, now, uh, how long was it after that when you got back to Pennsylvania when you started your uh, concrete business? Uh, well, let's see. I probably it was probably about six years later that my brother and I had started a, a construction business, and uh, we were building a home one day, and uh, I was up working on the roof of the home, and uh, I was pulling on a board, and all of a sudden the board gave way. And I found myself just careening off into space and had absolutely no time whatsoever to adjust to the fall. Ended up landing on a pile of gravel, and we had a crane there that was helping us out, and I missed the base of the crane with my head by about six inches. Didn't know it at the time, but I ended up fracturing my left hip. 
they took me to the hospital and they did some x-rays of the hip and, and the doctor didn't see any any fracture and so they put me in physical therapy which by the way if you're if you have a fractured hip that's probably not the best place to be and i was i was in excruciating pain and after a while the doctor came by and he looked at me and he said you know you don't look like you're doing too well and i said well i'm really not and he said well let's take another look at that hip and they they found a fracture at that point so they took me out of physical therapy and put me into traction and when the doctor told me about the fracture and he said that I'd be off work for, for weeks, I went into this spiral of, of pain and anxiety, pain because the, the hip was truly agonizing, and anxiety because this was the busiest time of our year, and there was absolutely no way that I could be off work. My, I didn't think there was any way my, my brother could handle the business without my help. And as I felt myself going down in this spiral, all of a sudden I broke through into another reality. And in that other reality, I, uh, the, the pain vanished completely. The anxiety completely disappeared. I found myself surrounded by complete, total peace. And as the Apostle Paul said, it was the peace that passes all understanding. And for me, those weren't just uh, abstract words. It was a reality. And so uh, here I was surrounded in this pristine environment. And at one point, I was, found myself standing in front, in front of a being of light. And we were conversing about my life, but we were not using words. And uh, it was such a stunning thing for me because, uh, you know, I I might have heard of other people going through this kind of thing. But, you know, when it happens to you personally, it changes everything when you have that kind of experience. And um, my wife and I had been wrestling with a question prior to that experience. I had a sense of calling into the ministry and uh, we were looking for the sign that was unmistakable, and when I had when I entered into that other reality, that other dimension, I really saw it as a sort of the ultimate sign from God. This was God's voice, and so my I took my wife and two children at that time, and we went off to Princeton Theological Seminary, and I graduated three years later with a Master of Divinity degree, and then started 15 years as a pastor in the Presbyterian Church. The problem was, though, uh, I began to realize over time that that experience of falling off the roof was so much more than just to answer that question. What it really did was it created a hunger in me to want to get back to that world again, to to experience it, to uh, contact it more consistently, to understand it more profoundly. And so uh, even though I was in the ministry and I thought maybe I might be able to do that within the church, it turned out that uh, my time was taken up in so many other directions that this one thing, that was so important to me was the last thing I could get to, and uh, so it, was, it created a tremendous tension for me as I as I was in the ministry, because I, you know my mind and my heart were sort of pulling in an entirely different direction from uh, what was happening in the church, and so it it was it was a long a hard struggle for me to be sure. Now my first my first question is now one did did the pain when you're in the hospital did that like put you in a trance-like mode, or how did you find yourself uh, experiencing this alternate reality? Did it just come on you all at once, or did uh, how, how did that occur? Well, I, you know, I really wish I had a, a better answer for that question, because uh, it, one of the things that you run into when you start to talk about these kinds of experiences is, is the simple fact that our language is not adequate to capture it. You know, all of our, our language is tied to the physical world, physical objects, our, our 
personal experience in the past. But when you move into a you know an alternate dimension like that, the words simply don't hold up anymore. What do you do these metaphors? And things like time is dramatically altered as well. So it felt to me, as I reflect on it now, as if I actually sort of broke through into uh, maybe through some kind of an opening or the door or, or was it did I break through a veil? I don't know. But at one point I w- I'm laying in my bed in agony. Josh, are you right there? I am right here. I'm still. I'm just been listening to this whole story. <laughs> okay. Well, he the the last uh, bit that he just spoke, he was breaking up really bad on my end. So I'm trying to see if it's me or him. Are you hearing him fine? No. Uh, yeah, I was getting the same thing. Um, I, I actually I was thinking the same. I thought maybe my cell phone was dropping out on me, but uh, no, I, I couldn't really understand that last uh, 45 seconds there. But I kind of got you know the. The, the most of it there, um, he's pretty much saying, you know, at one point, he kind of, I think I heard him say, you know, broke through like a veil and, you know, had a kind of like an enlightened experience out of it. Right. Should I call you guys back or do you want to call yeah, you back? Yeah, you're, you're breaking up for some reason, and I'm not sure okay. if it's if it's you or blog talk, but... Yeah, if if you want to hang up and call right back, we'll bring you right back in here and see if we get a better connection. All right, call you right back. Thanks. Okay, okay. All right, I was beginning to think it was me here, and I'm trying to uh, change, shut down some things on the computer, and I typed in the chat room asking you if you were hearing it the same way I was, and you weren't uh, answering me, so I thought it was me. Uh, <laughs> I, got a, I got a lot of noise in the house, so I've kind of stepped outside and... For for a little for it to be a little bit quieter, um, that's why I was thinking it was maybe my my phone because I I had moved so I was, maybe I'm in like a, a, a weird spot. But no, I mean very interesting story. Um, I'd love to see you know where this is going. Um, you know you can tell you know you know this is you know this guy was very kind of uh, I want to say at peace with himself. Um, very intelligent. Um, fascinating story. I mean that's the type of stuff. Um, you know I love the idea that he brought forward saying that, you know, to really take yourself up, you know, bring yourself forward, you got to face your fears. And, and, you know, that whole hitchhiking story of, you know, to to move on in life, he, he did something to, to face his fears, and that was one of his fears. Uh, you know, that's a great, you know, kind of metaphor for anybody in life. You know, take your fears and, and take any of your fears and, and push, push to them and, and move forward through them instead of just, Spending your life um, kind of in the corner and hiding from them. I don't know if kind of that's kind of the way I interpreted it and the way I I took it from my own personal side. I don't know what kind of how you thought of it. Okay, Paul, are you back with us? Yes. Can you hear me okay now? You sound perfect now. Oh, good, good. That's great. Yeah, I don't know what it was wrong with the other connection there, but it was it was crazy. Anyways. Um, why don't you repeat the last uh, minute of what you said there about uh, how uh, you, you, I got the part where you said words can't really describe it, but 
I was just kind of wondering if you were asleep and had this experience or wide awake or, or how it occurred. You know, I think uh, as, I've, as I've been in this work for a lot of years, so much of this happens actually in the in-between state between being asleep and, asleep and awake. Can you hear me okay? Alan? As you started talking, it's it's starting to crackle just a little bit, but nothing like it was before. Okay, um, all right. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Uh. Well, will you keep me posted if you if I need to call you back? I sure will, definitely. All right. Okay. So what I was saying is that so much of this work, I think, happens in that in-between state, uh, sort of that. Uh, Range. If you've ever uh, woken up in the morning and you're just not quite all the way awake, and you're uh, you're feeling extremely relaxed and and you're you're sort of dreamy, I think that is sort of is the range where so much of this opens up to these other worlds, because uh, when you when you're in the sleep state, then you, you lose consciousness of the physical world, and when you're fully awake, then it seems you, that you lose contact with the non-physical world. And so I think it's that hypnagogic state that we call that is the doorway to so much of this. Yeah, I agree. Uh, when, when you're wide awake, there's too many other things distracting you. Uh, that's uh, something we've talked about uh, when we're discussing ghost investigations, how mm -hmm. uh, hauntings are still there during the day. You, you just don't pay attention to them as much because you got too many other things going on, I think. Uh, exactly. And that's why night nighttime seems to be the best time because other things have settled down and it's quieter and you notice things that you normally wouldn't notice during the day. Um, okay, so you so you went on and became a, uh, a minister for 15 years. Right. Um, and, and I've always had the opinion where I don't need to go to church or I don't need a middleman to talk to God. I can sit right here in my living room and talk to him just fine. Uh, and and that church is, is more of a social thing, uh, club type of thing. Uh, to me, um, just where like-minded people can get together and, and share a common uh, interest. Um, and And I often wonder how much of what we read in the Bible is truth, how much of it is is fiction or personal opinion and things like that. So I understand as time went on, you were finding some uh, things that didn't quite line up either, uh, if I'm interpreting this right. Um, if you want to explain a little bit about about that. Okay, now you're breaking up completely, and we can't even uh, can't even hear you. All right, I, I think you said you call back. I'm not sure. I can't tell. Uh, pretty much what I made out of it through there, Al. This is our this here is our our show of technical difficulties. I think. Oh, I'm telling you, this is I don't know what it is. If there's a power somewhere that says this show is not supposed to go on or what, because uh, be, maybe we're going to reveal a truth that isn't supposed to be revealed or something. I don't know. <laughs> the uh, the it's a secret government plot against us and our our listeners. <laughs> you don't see any black helicopters flying over your house, do you? 
I don't know, but I'm right below the hospital. A life flight, I'm sure, is going to fly by any time. Now, I've had one of those in a few days. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been in them myself three times in the last couple of years. That's enough. Uh, okay, Paul, let's try this again. All right. Well, as, uh, if we if the past experience is indicated, we've got about thirty seconds to talk. Is that about right? <laughs> that that's about it. But you're you're still a little crackly. I don't understand uh, what. Uh, are you are you on a home phone or a cell phone or? Uh, I'm on a home phone. Um, that's weird. Josh and I were just made, saying that maybe there's some government conspiracy here that you're going to reveal some truth that isn't supposed to get out or something. <laughs> hey, well, let me let me. Let, how about if I try talking to you on a cell phone? Let me. Would, should I try that and get, see if that works sure. better? Hey, right, hey, we'll, we're try. willing to try anything. Okay, I'll call you right back. All right. I mean, this. Uh, I'm absolutely. You know, this is a great conversation. This is. With a few I, shows, or I can almost, I just sit back the whole time here and almost just listen and take it all in. I feel more no, like I, a listener. I feel more I, like a I, listener today than I do uh, an, a host, just because I'm I'm learning more just listening today than anything else. I, I feel so bad making him have to keep calling in like this. <laughs> I mean, geez, but uh, I don't know what else to do. If it does it on a cell phone, I would be. On a bet, you know, a dollar for dollar here. That it's something on the the blog talk switchboard, just like everything else that's been going wrong with us today. All right, Paul. Let's see how you sound now. Okay, how's that? Is any better? Right at this moment, you're a hundred percent clear. Okay. All right. Well, we're making progress, then. That's good. I never thought I'd see the day where a cell phone worked better than a home phone. Something doesn't make sense there. I know. Uh, you know, all this psychic energy going around, that's what it is. That's, you know, um, I've I've heard of that happening. It, I've I've seen it happen um in rooms with with clair, clairvoyance and psychics and anything along those lines. Um electronic equipment, you know, things that are grounded sometimes have a hard time functioning properly. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. We see, we've seen that sometimes at the institute too. Yeah. Okay, so so you were saying the uh you were starting to say how the uh, church and you know, and and your personal uh, experiences weren't quite lining up or something. Yeah, I, for me, uh, you know, in, in the in the church, they always talk about this idea of uh, eternity. You know, that, that the big question is, what's going to happen to you after you die? Are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? And and the criteria for that varies depending on what tradition you're a part of. You know, it, it could be a matter of speaking the right words, or it could be a matter of being a part of the right denomination, or uh, being a generally nice person, or, you know, take your pick. Um, but what I began to think about is that there's this other thing that uh, I call infinity that is quite different from that. And I think that that's really more what uh, what Jesus was talking about, because he would talk about the kingdom of heaven as being something that was present now, not something that you waited for until you died. He would say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is within you, or it's among you. And um, he would even say some of you won't taste death before you'll see the kingdom come in, in all its glory. And so I think that there was this uh, real sense that he was talking about something different from what most people understand in that regard. And I think, you know, when I fell off of the roof and entered into that other dimension, 
it uh, really struck home to me that there is so much more that's available to us that we are simply overlooking because nobody tells us about these things and nobody or very few tell us about it or if they do tell us about it they say that it's only for people who have practiced for a long time and or saints and shamans and gurus and that kind of thing but you know I think it's available to just about everyone uh, if if they're willing to take a look at it and I think that's what's really exciting because that tells me that the human potential is far greater than, than what we are giving ourselves credit for. I think that there's a birthright that we have inherited that allows us to communicate far beyond the, the physical world and also with, within the physical world in an entirely different way. And of course, you guys know about that too. Well, well, we 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 wish we knew. We're <laughs> that's what we've often said that this uh, this. Uh, the science of ghost investigations and uh, and things like this is is such a great science because there are no answers and and the average Joe Schmo has just as much chance of stumbling across that that magic answer as someone with a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment right. and uh, and that's what's so great is anyone can catch that that EVP or that that video footage or that photograph. And so uh, anyone can get in on this. So, so let me ask you: having coming from both sides of the coin, having been a minister and and also uh, experiencing the the spirituality for yourself, um, I've often wondered: is is hell a real place, or is hell something that was made up by the church to scare people into following church doctrine? <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think you're going to get as many answers on that as, as people that you will question, and um, I don't pretend to have the answer on that. I, I, my suspicion is is that uh, we, we kind of create our own health as we go through life, and and we can also carry that on the other side of death, too, so that our, our, whatever expectation we have um, is probably going to be realized because when you move out of the physical world into the metaphysical or the non-physical world, the thoughts that we have are much more powerful in creating the environment that we find ourselves in. So if there's an expectation that a person is going to go to hell, they're probably going to craft something like that unknowingly and experience that for a while. But uh, I think after a while, eventually they'll get tired of that and, and move on to other, uh, other things to, to work with. And so, uh, you know, and, and there may be people who believe in hell and are convinced they're not going to hell, but they want to see it on their way to wherever they're going, and so they, they will, uh, you know, they will notice that. And so, you know, in, so people before they die can also move into these realms and, and find whatever their expectations are as well. So it's 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 not a simple answer by any means, but I th and I think that uh, if you if you want to want to be one. You know, you, you can find that. But th my experience of the afterlife is it's much uh, different from that. It's um, more like what happened to me when I fell off the roof. You know, that there is this incredible sense of love and support and, and guidance that, that comes to you uh, when you pass over from this physical world to the non-physical. Yeah, I realize there's no easy answers for any of these uh, uh, questions that we're asking, but... Uh, uh, I, I, I don't think uh, we're looking for definitive answers. We're looking for opinions, and that's about mm -hmm. all we're going to get in this lifetime. Um, right. I know. Oh, 
Go ahead, Josh. You know, I, you know, it's something we kind of always say every week, you know, and it's it, you'll never really know until it's your time to know, um, until it's your time to pass and it's your time to move on. You know, it's a question you're you're never going to really be able to answer in your in your true living lifetime. Well, you know, that, that's um, maybe yes and maybe no. You know, what uh, at the Monroe Institute we do uh, lots of exercises where where people actually do have moved from the physical world into the non-physical world and and can have uh, bring back experiential information and data that uh, help to uh, sort of provide some kind of a picture uh, that that is different from speculation or opinion. It's something that's really based more on experience. And I you know I didn't really want to jump right into this aspect of it, but we we do have a program there where we uh, which is called Lifeline, where we help people to move into uh, ranges of experience that move uh, beyond the physical and can people can begin to encounter. Uh, deceased loved ones or even people that they don't know or uh, begin to encounter aspects of themselves that maybe have been split off and and help these aspects to move then into uh, in, uh, further on down into the journey on the other side of death. But there is, there is a, a range of experience that we call the belief system territories. And this is a, a territory where every human belief that is in existence resides. And so that's why I say, uh, you know, if you if you believe in hell, you know, you're, you're probably going to find it in that area. If you believe in some uh, fashion of heaven, you're probably going to find it in that area. If you believe that you're going to be going to church for the rest of your life, you know, you'll, you'll find that there as well. So I, th I think that there it is possible for us to begin to experience these things beyond just speculation. Now, um Josh and I, we come from, from two different backgrounds. He's the uh, the paranormal investigator, and he goes out to document uh, uh, spirits and ghosts and, and uh, things that haunt buildings. And, and I've always gone down the, the path of more just wanting to communicate with those who have already passed over that can tell me what it's like in heaven, and that's uh, like... Uh, Dr. Meeks and his Spiricon machine, and and Sarah S. Step in her Voices of Eternity book, and and things like that, and and that's what led me down the path to stumbling on the Monroe Institute. Um, so, from what I've been hearing, it seems like your experiences have somewhat paralleled those of Bob Monroe. Well, yeah, there there are uh, some commonalities. I wouldn't want to say for a minute that they were exactly the same, but uh, no, no. His his uh, his investigation of this whole realm started when he was having spontaneous out of body experiences back in the 1950s. And uh, for instance, one evening he was lying in bed, and uh, the next thing he knew, he was lying against this flat, hard surface, and. He thought, well, what, what happened? Did I fall out of bed or what? And he, and he looked around and he saw that there was this fountain uh, coming up out of the floor. At least it looked like a fountain. And then he got in, kind of got himself turned around and uh, suddenly realized that the flat, hard thing that he was lying against was actually the ceiling. He was floating against the ceiling. 
and the fountain that looked like it was coming out of it was actually the chandelier in the room that was hanging down from the ceiling. And he looked down, and he saw uh, his wife in bed, and then some other guy that was in, white, in bed with his wife. And suddenly he realized that the guy that was in bed with his wife was himself. And you can imagine the shock that, that he experienced at that point, because it's, he'd never had anything like this happen before. And so he swam, sort of swam down through the air and got back into his body and sat up, and his heart was pounding, thought he was, uh, was dying. And... Um, and then he thought he was crazy, and, and he went and had physical examinations and, and uh, psychological examinations, and everything checked out. And so after a while, he kind of got curious about this whole thing. So he he was a, a radio man, and, and he actually at one uh, point in his career was the vice president of Mutual Broadcasting System. He was also a radio producer and had, had produced countless radio programs. One of the most famous was The Shadow. And... Um, so he, he decided to see if there was some way he could use sound to help to control these spontaneous out-of-body experiences. And so he, he got very curious about that, did a lot of experimentation. And over time, he began to realize that uh, this movement out-of-body was just one, one small slice of a very large pie that is the human condition of awareness and, and consciousness. And so what we do at the Institute is we use sound to help people to move into non-ordinary states of awareness, altered states of awareness, so that they can begin to experience for themselves uh, what it's like to, uh, to uh, begin to investigate realms of awareness that are ordinarily reserved for unconsciousness or sleep or, uh, you know, for the mystics or the uh, sages and the gurus and that kind of thing. We find that we can help people move into these states in a really very short period of time compared to standard meditation practices. And so, okay. Uh, now, go ahead. Now I know you did. Uh, uh, you were part of a uh, DVD that's out there, uh, the Path series. I yeah, believe the right. DVD was the Afterlife. That's right. And uh, I got a little clip from that, so this might be a good time for me to throw this in here, since it seems like that's just about where we're at here. So let All me right, uh, go ahead. let me just fire this up for a second. All right. There are so many other dimensions that are that are in operation at this very time. And again, you don't have to you don't have to get very esoteric to to think about these things. Um, think about radio waves or television waves. We can sit here and I could tune into a radio station and maybe it's a news station. There's some guy somewhere who is broadcasting news. I can change the dial and it'll be a country music station. There's somebody somewhere who's playing country music. I can change it again and I can get pop music. I don't see those other dimensions, but when I tune into them, when I direct my perception, then those worlds become real. They come to life. Where are they? They're everywhere. They're being broadcast everywhere. The same with television. You can tune in from one channel to the other, and you can enter into entirely different worlds that have emotion behind them, or joy, or desperation, and you can get so engrossed in that that you forget about this life. Those are all happening right here, right now, simultaneously. 
So for me, it's not very much of a stretch of imagination to uh, think that it isn't limited to radio and TV, that there are other worlds that are happening simultaneously right here. So then it becomes a question of how do we tune into that? How do we shift our perceptions so that we can begin to interact with them in a meaningful way? All right, and, and that's the ultimate question that uh, paranormal investigators are trying to figure out is how to tune in to that other, that other realm where these, these ghosts are. And that's kind of what led me to the Monroe Institute. Uh, uh, doing the show with Josh, the first thought I had was, can Monroe's products help ghost investigators become better investigators? Uh, could Hemisync, which is Monroe's product, uh, audio CDs, uh, become a tool in the toolbox of a ghost investigation team? What, what do you think? Well, I, I think they definitely can. You know, it's uh, uh, of course we. You know, there, there are several levels of engagement of this. One is to to buy the CDs, uh, and you'll get some results with that. You know, it varies from person to person, but uh, we find that that the Hemisync technology is is one aspect of of many others that that we begin to incorporate into our residential programs. And it's at the, at the residential programs is where people really uh, can get a sense of this. You know, it's it's very common for people who go through our programs to uh, encounter loved ones who have died, and uh, even even if they're not expecting that, it seems to happen quite often. And I know from my own personal experience that happened to me as well. And uh, uh, you know, I, again, it wasn't anything I was expecting in any way, shape, or form, but I. At, at, in my very first program, I ended up. Uh, I won't. Maybe I'll just tell you a story on this because it's it's it'll make more sense if I if I do it that way. Yeah, I was going to say we we probably need to back up here and get to how you went from becoming a minister to becoming the executive director of Monroe here, so we don't get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a big jump, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all right. So I was in the in the ministry in a. Um, a couple of years into the ministry, my wife and I were up in Toronto, Canada, and um, <clears throat> there is a bookstore called there called the World's Biggest Bookstore, and it's still there. And this is back before Barnes and Noble and Borders and all those mega bookstores. And so at the time, it really was the world's biggest bookstore. And so we walked in there, and there just thousands and thousands of books. And I was there for about two minutes when one book just kind of jumped off the shelf at me, and it was Robert Monroe's second book called Far Journeys. And I read that thing cover to cover because here for the first time was someone who was talking about this experience I had when I fell off the roof. And he wasn't doing it from a perspective of religion or philosophy or speculation or theology. <clears throat> he was just talking about his own personal experience, and that really spoke to me. So uh, I read the thing cover to cover, and I got to the back end of the book, and I said, and I found out that there was a place called the Monroe Institute where you could actually go to study this kind of thing and experience it. And as soon as I read it, I thought, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be amazing to go to a place like that? And then right after that was the second thought that said, wouldn't it be amazing to work at a place like that? And of course, I knew neither one was ever going to happen because I was in the uh, I was in the ministry, didn't have much discretionary income, but about 10 years after that point, I uh, 
a friend of mine actually paid my way to go. And I went to the Monroe Institute as a participant for the first time. And uh, when I went through that process, the world that I experienced when I fell off the roof opened up in spades. I mean, it was just like living technicolor, so far beyond anything that I could possibly imagine that I was, I was blown away. Tried to come home and tell my wife about it, and, but there simply weren't words, and all I could do was just weep because of tears of, of gratitude because this was something I had wanted so very much. Well, I went through a few more programs, uh, and then uh, in the year 2000, I felt this uh, a real uh, this tension I was having between what I really wanted to do and what I was doing in the ministry got so great that I left the ministry, walked out of the door of the church, and then two months later, I got a call from the institute asking me if I wanted to become a residential trainer there. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, that, that voice that said to me, wouldn't it be amazing to go there and it wouldn't be amazing to work there, was actually kind of foretelling the future. And Can so you say law of attraction? <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Call it what you will. And so uh, for about six years, I, I was a residential facilitator there. And then um, in 2000, December of 2006, Lori Monroe, who had been the executive director, passed away. And the board started looking for a new executive director. And, and so I've been in this position since October of 2007. All right. So that that's how you got there, which was which was almost like a uh, like I said, the law of attraction. If you dream it, if you visualize it, it will happen. And you wanted it bad enough, it came to you. Which I uh, just had the same thing happen to me here just this last uh, two weeks ago. There was a uh, position that I uh, a job that I was looking at that I wanted. And uh, all of a sudden, right out of the blue, the person that had that job got fired, and they called me up, and here I am. So I know all about this. This, if you want something bad enough. So, okay, now you're at you're at Monroe. Um, I know from watching uh, Bob Monroe's videos that are, I believe, on the uh, internet, YouTube, or someplace I saw them. Um, how the Monroe started out as Trying to find out how to teach people to learn as they sleep. That was that was actually where he started experimenting with sound. To one of the big issues was how do you get people to sleep because they didn't want to use drugs to get people to sleep, but they needed to get them to sleep so that they could do their experimentation. So he started experimenting with various sound patterns to induce this sleep. And as you can imagine, Bob Monroe was his own test subject very often. And not really clear whether it was because of what he was doing with the sleep studies or it just was for other reasons. It was during that time that he started having spontaneous out-of-body experiences. I think it was about 1958. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I would think, uh, just me personally, is as you're going through this process of trial and elimination, uh, uh, trial and error, of of trying different frequency sounds, you're you're bound to find out that certain frequencies are going to uh, uh, cause certain reactions. So uh, it seems to me that's probably where he started down one path and wound up going down so many others. Um, mm -hmm. I I know it was respected enough where the government 
came and wanted help with their remote viewing programs in the uh, 70s, and I believe that's where Skip Outwater came uh, that's correct. came into the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Skip Outwater was uh, in the Army, and, and he got very interested in this idea of remote viewing because he, he began to realize that the Russians apparently had some kind of a remote viewing program, and so he approached his superiors with the idea of seeing if they couldn't duplicate it uh, that remote viewing to see if they could assess what the Russians were capable of. And so he was uh, the person in charge of the, the remote viewing program that eventually became known as Stargate. And he was the one who recruited and trained the various remote viewers down through the years. One of the first remote viewers was, actually the first, was a fellow by the name of Joe McMonigle. And uh, Joe is probably one of the world's foremost remote viewers at this point in time. Well, they, they uh, Skip approached uh, Bob Monroe to see if there was some way that uh, this Hemisync technology could be used to help uh, Joe McMonagle in his remote viewing practice. And so I think they scheduled about 10 weeks, not in succession, but uh, over a period of time where, where Joe McMonagle would come to the Institute, Robert Monroe created a special um, tape for him to use in, in his experience. What they found out was that it didn't really enhance the remote viewing capacity that much, but what it did do was to dramatically reduce uh, what Joe uh, calls his cool-down per- period. That's the, the time, uh, the preparation period that it took him to go before he could go and do a remote viewing. And uh, prior to coming to the Institute, I think it was about two hours and then with the help of the technology, that eventually came down to about 10 minutes, and now he can, he can do it almost instantaneously. That uh, uh, program ended, and that really was the end of uh, the Monroe Institute's involvement with the military at that point. However, after Skip Atwater retired, he came and worked as the research director at the Institute for about 20 years, and uh, he's now the president of the Institute. But uh, we don't have any, any existing military uh, connections at this point. Yeah, and I'll just tell people that uh, remote viewing is basically the government's fancy words for clairvoyance. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, sure, I had a question here, and oh, I was going to say, well, I can yeah, go ahead for a minute. I you know, um, I've, I've heard a lot and read a lot about remote viewing. Um, it, it's a fascinating subject for anybody who ever. You know, wants to really look into it. We don't really have the time now to get into it. But basically, um, you get into that meditative state, um, and you have that's a, a kind of an OBE out of body experience where you view something that is far away from you. And you know, the government was using it basically. They would have a room full of their remote viewers, um, and they would have a target, and this target say being a Soviet missile site. Um, a lot of this was used during the Cold War. And they would, you know, remotely view, have an out-of-body experience and envision in their meditative state, you know, where this site was. When they would awaken, they would map it out and actually, you know, try and locate these places um, just by out-of-body experiences and remotely, you know, viewing something completely on the other side of the world from their location here in the United States. Yeah, there actually are, are a couple of methods. The out-of-body experience is, is one of them. The other one is, is what they specifically call remote viewing, where it's not an out-of-body experience. It's, 
it's more like a visionary experience, I guess you could say. There are yeah. advantages and disadvantages to both of those approaches. And Joe McMonagall, for instance, found over time that the out-of-body experience was, was kind of cumbersome because it took a long time to generate. And also, if if you go and you do uh, uh, an out-of-body experience, you get the the information, you come back, and it's not quite the right uh, information, then you got to start all over again to do the out-of-body experience to, to, to try to uh, make that happen. But he found over time that the, that the remote viewing was a, a much easier way for him to get the information that they needed. Right, and I, I don't know, I, I might be taking us completely off subject, but <laughs> I was kind of getting this stuff where I'm really getting interested. And um, I know, you know a, a lot of the things I've heard and talked about with um, OBEs was um, you always kind of have a tether. Um, is that something, you know, the tether breaks, there's circumstances to it. Um, is, do you have that experience or is that something that you could say you you have or have not experienced or have people talk about at the Monroe? You know, it, it, it's it's an interesting question because I, I know that in the classic literature there is a, a lot of talk about the silver cord, and uh, and being tethered to the body. And quite honestly, in in all the years that that I was a facilitator there, and, and you know, hundreds and hundreds of people had come through the program, I, you know, I can't even think of one person who mentioned that silver cord or that that tether. We found over time that there's a much stronger tether than that. And that's your bladder, because uh, you know eventually your bladder is going to fill you up, fill up, and it's going to call you back no matter what. So we never worry about it losing anybody because of that. All right, and I I had one other question that that kind of struck me in my as as we were talking earlier, and before we kind of continue on where with where Elle wants to go, um, you talk about how using music and and sounds to help relax the body, to help, you know, people get into the state of mind where they can have the OBEs and, you know, get into that enlightened enlightened state. Would you kind of compare that to almost hypnosis, um, a more serious side of hypnosis where, you know, with hypnosis, you know, the a true doctor at, at that practice, you know, relaxes mm -hmm. the body, gets the mind down almost to a sleep state, uh, an awakened sleep state. Would you kind of compare the two? I think there are similarities for sure. Um, my understanding, though, is that if you actually did brain mapping of somebody who's going through uh, hip, uh, hypnotherapy or hypnosis and somebody who's using the hemisync, the brain patterns would, would look uh, somewhat different between them. I don't know what the implications of that are. And I'm, I'm not sure if, if maybe you're just getting to the same state but using a different methodology. But uh, that's the one thing I do know, that it, it does appear that there are different uh, brain patterns that, that begin to emerge. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, they, they, they almost, and I see what you're saying here, you, you know, because I know hypnosis is kind of a an awakened sleep. Um, but I think that with hypno, hypnosis is maybe geared more towards um, implanting suggestion into the brain where I think, you know, maybe what you're doing at the Monroe is more of, Opening the brain up, not the suggestion, but to what's around it. Yeah, I think I I I don't know that I, if I I don't want to say anything disparaging in any way about hypnosis because I really don't know enough about it or except what I just said. But I I do think that uh, 
what we really strive to at the Institute is, is to make sure everybody understands that they are in control of the process and, and that uh, we teach them to uh, people to trust their own intuition and to really listen to their own guidance. And so um, that's, that's paramount for us and because one of our, our uh, the things we really believe in is that, and that we tell people is that we don't have any dogma uh, and except for the possibility that you might be more than the physical body. We don't ever try to tell people what that more might be. We want them to go out and, and to find out for themselves and then come back and tell us. And so uh, we don't have any um, saints or gurus uh, you know, who have the answers at the Institute. What we are trying to do is to empower people to find their own answers, and I think that's really key. And I think that's where this process has a lot of integrity. All right. Now, uh I'm, I'm not real familiar with, with the people that were in the remote viewing program, if they were already uh, recognized with psychic ability or just soldiers. Or, but with, with the, at the Monroe Institute, um, I've had a lot of psychics tell me that everyone has psychic abilities and everyone has the potential. Do, do you find that at the Monroe, that, that anyone can come in and, and have some type of experience? Uh, no, we don't have we don't have a hundred percent track record by any means, and I wouldn't want to give the impression that we do. Uh, but the percentage of people who actually do have some kind of uh, life-changing experience or some kind of uh, of encounter or perception that is, goes beyond their expectations is very very high. I, you know, normally we have a group of about uh, 24 people, maximum of 24 people, in uh, a group, and and out of those. Maybe one or two uh, might be disappointed with what they've experienced, and uh, the rest of them, for, for the, the vast majority of them, are are really astounded at what they what they've experienced. We also find that if a person doesn't have something that happens to them while they're at the institute, sometimes when they go home, things can start to unfold for them in unexpected ways. So. There's a, there's, a, there's a process that kind of gets initiated uh, through our, our, uh, our classes that uh, really kind of takes some time to unfold. And we used to tell people, don't come back for a second uh, class until uh, at least six months because we feel like it takes that long to integrate uh, and to begin to understand so, so much of what happens there. So, so how long are, are these programs at the institute, and what do they uh, what do they consist of? Well, our residential programs start on Saturday evening and finish up on fr the following Friday morning. And um, to what they consist of is uh, sort of a rhythm of uh, you go, we have these what we call uh, check units. That's uh, short for controlled holistic environmental chamber. And it, what it amounts to is it's a, it's a bed with four walls and a ceiling, and you climb through an opening, and you sleep there at night, and then you also lie there to listen to the exercises on the headphones. So you get up in the morning, uh, we you have, you have breakfast, and then we talk about the first exercise, and we send people back to their units, listen to them, and then we come down, and if you want to, you can talk about your experience in the group. We find that that rhythm uh, between the individual experience and then reflecting on it within the context of the group 
is a very, very important uh, process uh, to go through. So what we do is we take people to different destination points in uh, this uh, human perception. Uh, what these different destination points are what we call focus levels. And the first one is called focus 10, which is simply mind awake, body asleep. Ordinarily, when we get deeply relaxed uh, and, our, and our body starts to feel that, we cross over this threshold that dumps us into sleep, and we lose consciousness of the physical world. But in Focus 10, what we uh, help people do is get deeply relaxed and then cross over that threshold and retain their consciousness so that they can begin to experience worlds that are normally reserved for sleep or dreams and whatnot. That's Focus 10. Focus 12 is the state uh, of um, expanded awareness. Focus 15 is the state beyond time. And focus 21 is the a bridge state between the physical, physical world and non-physical reality. So we cover that within that first week. And where, where would you put an, uh, are these all considered sort of out-of-body experiences? Or, or Not at all. The classic, classic OBE occur at a certain focus level? or? No, no. Uh, again, these these focus levels allow you to experience different forms and ranges of consciousness. Remember, I said before that the out of body experience is just one small slice of a, a very large pie of human awareness. So these different focus levels uh, can help people to move into this larger pie of of uh, human awareness, human consciousness. Some people, uh, about 15% of them may have an out-of-body experience while they're at the Institute. Others experience different uh, uh, other kinds of uh, awarenesses or perceptions, and uh, those can be so profound. I, as for example, I came, after reading Bob Monroe's book, of course I wanted to go there and have an out-of-body experience. But I didn't have a classic out-of-body experience uh, in the way that he did, where I went out and looked back and I saw my body lying in the bed. But so much else happened to me that it, it really didn't matter to me at all. It was, for me, uh, a, a, an understanding that there are many, many different ways that we can begin to perceive these other, other dimensions and other realities. So it's basically like visually uh, uh, seeing pictures of things and, and hearing voices or things like that? Uh, it, it depends on the person. You can yeah. have people who are strong visually, and they will tend to have visual experiences. You can have people who are strong in terms of hearing, and they'll have auditory experiences. Some people have kinesthetic experiences. Others actually will have smell or taste. But then some people will get into what are, what's called synesthesia, where you begin to have a crossover of senses. Other people will have profound intuitions and, and, and knowings. And uh, so, there's, there's, again, there's so much that can happen, but, but each person brings their own experience and their own peculiarity to it, and that's going to shape the, the way that that experience begins to take, take form for them. Well, this sounds like uh, classic uh, psychics. Uh, some are clairaudient, some are clairvoyant, mm -hmm. some are clairsentient. So mm -hmm. it, it almost sounds like whatever uh, ability uh, you're more, I don't know, destined to have is, is, is what's going to be increased, uh, it sounds like. Now, 
when they're in the chambers, you said they're listening to these uh, audio uh, things on on uh, headset. Are those the same uh, audio files that are available for the the home uh, study things that you uh, to some extent, offer? To, yeah, to some extent they are, uh, but we also introduced a, a number of other ones in the residential program that are not available for uh, public sale. And so you'll you'll get uh, some crossover, but it's 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 not 100% by any means. Okay, I, I know looking through the website and things that uh, you have about. 70 different CDs available, I think, that all uh, are supposed to help accomplish certain certain things. I guess there's some that will help put you to sleep and some that will keep you awake and, uh, and some that will help you uh, uh, journey out of the body and things like that. And, and it's all based on putting different frequencies into your, into your head and uh, awaking certain different uh, parts of the brain, I believe, right. if I are interpreting right. it right? Well, the way the way the technology works is that we, uh, and this is just a very quick and dirty explanation here because it's much more complex than what I'm going to tell you, but basically uh, we'll put one audio signal into one ear and a, a different audio single signal in the other ear. It might be just a little bit off in terms of their tone. And if you've ever listened to to two sounds like that, when they come together, you get kind of a wavering or a vibrato that is a third tone and a, and a third frequency. What the brain then begins to do is it starts to mimic to some extent that third frequency. And when you do that, then you're starting to, to move the brain into frequency ranges that can move you into uh, alpha states, uh, theta states, and delta states. And the problem that you run into is that the frequencies in those lower uh, brain states, lower frequency states, are below the threshold of hearing. And that's why we have to take two audible sounds to produce that third signal that, that gets into the frequency ranges that we're trying to achieve. In fact, the, the, uh, there's a mixture of signals on these. Some of it is to uh, take you down into these deeper states but some of the frequencies are, say, in the beta range, which is the normal adult waking consciousness. And so the beta frequencies are there to keep you, keep your uh, mind alert and awake as you are moving down into these ranges of, of uh, you know, the meditative states, dream states, um, lucid dreaming, that kind of thing. Okay, so so getting back to the uh, the ghost investigating part here. Um, my my first thought when I when I seen this was if if uh, investigators could could take these these home CDs and by using them on a regular basis uh, maybe enhance some of their uh, psychic abilities or awareness when they're walking around through a house in the, at three o'clock in the morning and maybe be aware of of more of what's going on around them. Um, right. Yeah, I had a question on the tip of my tongue. Now I just lost it. But uh, that that was my thought: is if uh, anyone can use these to en enhance their psychic abilities, basically. Getting back to the the question or the what the uh, statement that the psychic said that everyone has psychic abilities, and with proper training, anyone can be some become a psychic. Uh, do you? Do you believe that? 
Well, I think I think we all have psychic abilities. I think that some uh, have more abilities than others, and uh, some. Uh, I think part of it is, is sort of learning what what your psychic language is to some extent. You know, we talked before about uh, people receiving information in different ways. It's one of the most difficult things that we encounter at the institute is to get people to let go of the way that they think they should be receiving information so that they can embrace the way in which they actually are receiving the information. And because everybody wants to, you know, they, if they read Bob Monroe's books, then everybody wants to do it just the way that Bob Monroe did it. And, and if, if it isn't like that, well, then nothing else makes sense or it's not, uh, not appropriate or it's not real. But the key, I think, is, is to really learn who you are and learn to trust that and know that the person that you are is just as you should be. And right. you have the tools that you need to do that. And the hemisync process, I think, helps people to begin to do that. As long as they're willing to uh, tune into all of their perceptual senses, even beyond the five senses as we know them, then I think the, the chances are much better of be becoming sensitive, not only to worlds in the metaphysical realm, but also to more sensitive to this physical reality as well. That's one of the things that we see is when people go through our program, we spend some time outdoors and encourage people without the hemisync to, to tune in to the world around them. And what so many people find is, is that this world is actually speaking to us all the time if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. And if we take the time right. to notice, then it becomes magical. Yeah, it, that's... I think that's you know probably the best part about the whole thing is you know being able to just open yourself up to everything that's around you, all the frequencies you know just in the common day life, and you know even if you're just feeling better about yourself as the day goes on, you know tuning in like like you said tuning into these frequencies mm -hmm. um it's amazing right. Th that was the question i'd I'd had, and it went right out of my mind is. Is, is after they've been through the program or used the, the home uh, CDs, um, do you find that after a while they're able to achieve this level of consciousness without the help of the, uh, of the tools, that, that they're able to recognize it and bring themselves down into these states uh, all by themselves? That's our intent, uh, because we, we don't want people to be dependent on the technology. We want people to be able to access this, these states at any point in their life. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a business meeting and you, you need some kind of guidance, you don't want to have to call the business meeting off and say, I've got to go lay down for 45 minutes and I'll be back with you in the, after, after that time. We want people to be able to just be able to pop into these uh, different realms of experience so that they can make these connections. And of course, as you may understand, that it's it's only as effective as what people are willing to practice. You know, uh, they when they come to the institute, they may have these skills while they're there and retain them for a period afterwards. But if they don't continue to to use those tools, they can start to lose lose those abilities. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. why would you you, you want to be able to just you know keep yourself at this level all the time or when you need it to come down to that more relaxed, open state. Uh, but one thing, uh, you mentioned briefly um, lucid dreaming. 
And I know that's something you work on a lot at the Institute, and we really haven't brought it up. Um, I myself, I can only think of maybe a handful of times I could say I had what was would qualify as a lucid dream. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you who are who are listening and aren't familiar with the terminology, a lucid dream is basically um, the short version of it is a dream that when you are conscious, you know that you're dreaming and you can actually control yourself and what you're doing in the dream and kind of do what you want with it. Um, I Myself, I can think of maybe a couple times where I think I, I had a, a lucid dream. Um, I woke up feeling amazing. Um, it was an amazing feeling waking up, um, you know, almost, you know, it, 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 I can't really even describe it. Um, is I, I can't really think of the question I kind of want. I mean, is is that kind of how people you get there at the Institute? Is that kind of how they feel when you get them in and, and train them to have lucid dreams? Or can you train them to call in lucid dreams at any point? You know, I, I'm going to sleep tonight and I'm going to I'm going to have that type of dream. And do they get that same kind of almost euphoric, you know, incredible, you know, walking on air sensation afterwards? Mm. Yeah, uh, we, you know, we, we we try not to uh, put terminology to another person's experience. Uh, we try to remain very neutral and allow the person who's going through the experience to put the terminology to it, because everybody comes with their own oh belief system, their own theory of how the universe is put together, and the, the language that they use. So our job is to simply create the context for the experience to happen. The, the participant's job is to is to take the experience and put it into the language that's familiar to them. And so lucid dreaming, you know, even though I used the term before, isn't something that we are specifically aiming at. But I could tell you that from my own personal experience that uh, I think the experiences that I've had fall more into that category of lucid dreaming than they say do say in the out-of-body experience. Another person could go through and they would have more out-of-body experiences. Another per- person could come through and they might have more what they would call visionary experiences or they might have creative experiences or they might have encounters with deceased relatives and, and on and on and on. There, there, again, there's just so much that, that is available to us. So the lucid dreaming, uh, I think, is something that, that people can uh, experience while they're there. and but very often, that feeling that you were talking about, that sense of walking on air, that sense of well-being, almost euphoria, uh, many, many, many of the people who come through the program, by whatever means they get there, seem to get, by the end of the week, they seem to move into that kind of space. And, and so much so that they seldom if ever want to go home because it, it, it's, uh, it's so precious to them. And, and oh, I, I can, I can only imagine. I, you know, like I said, maybe three, four times in my lifetime, I lucid dreamed, or literally, I, I controlled what was going on. I, I, you know, it is a dream, so you can do whatever you want. You know, and yeah, you know, I woke up with it. I mean, I, I can just imagine doing it for you know a week or you know, two weeks, however long the program runs. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't want to go home either. It's you know. Yeah, it'd be amazing. One of the one of the things that happens over that period of time that's different from say using the uh, CDs at home 
you know, when you're when you're at home, you if you're lucky, you might listen to a CD a day. Uh, but most people are going to find it's going to be maybe a CD a week, or or maybe one a month, and so they they'll use it, and then walk away from it, and they return to their original baseline. But at the institute, because we're doing one exercise and then coming back to a grounding state and then using doing a second one and a third one, each time the exercises tend to build on each other so that your baseline of awareness is, begins to shift pretty dramatically, although slowly over the week, uh, sometimes imperceptibly. But it definitely starts to move, and it isn't until sometimes when people go back into the world that they begin to realize how far that they've come from where they were before they they came to the institute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes complete sense. Yeah, my uh, my thought uh, since the beginning was, if if people in the uh, investigative realm could go through this course and then learn how to take that home with them. So just before they start a, uh, a ghost investigation or enter a, a alleged haunted house, they could bring themselves down into that state, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and go into the house almost as, as a psychic would. If everyone on that team had that ability, instead of just the one or two psychics that, that would be there, how, how much more understanding and, and possibly how much more evidence they could capture if every investigator knew exactly where in the room to look or point that camera or put that voice recorder and, and things like along that line. Um, and, and me personally, like I said, I'm interested in what happens after death, and just you know, I'm, I'm looking to talk to people that have already crossed over and can describe heaven to me, or or what this next uh, part of the journey is for this uh, energy field called the soul, I guess. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just so many things about the Monroe Institute uh, that just fascinated me that, that I I just wanted. To Hop in a car and drive right down there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we wouldn't we wouldn't turn you away. I can tell you that we, we would welcome you with open arms. Sure, you know, seriously, if if you either one of you would like to come down sometime for a tour, or we you know we could even stick in the booth maybe and give you a little taste of what it's all about. Or if you wanted to come to a program, just let us know. We'd love to have you. Oh, I would love that. That definitely have to. Uh put that on my schedule as one of my vacation destinations. <laughs> All right. I don't know I don't know what the rest of the family think of it, but <laughs> I could go there for a week easy. <laughs> well, you know, if, 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 if even if nothing else happens when you come to the institute, uh, imagine what your days look looks like. You go to bed at night, you wake up, you have breakfast, and then you go back to bed again. And then you get up and talk to the group, and then you go back to bed again, and it's, and you spend a lot of time in bed, and if nothing else happens, it's great rest. Well, the hard yeah. part would be keeping me awake. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's that's where the audio signals do kind of help you in that regard. Yeah. Um, I know one thing. I can, I know we're we're getting close to um the end of our hour or two hours here. Um, mm -hmm. one thing I kind of wanted to to touch on quick, um, because. Me as the investigator type, um, you know, I'm always kind of the, the research, evidence, scientific guy. Um, I know the Monroe Institute has a um, 
research um, right. section. Uh, what are they? What are they currently doing in the the research um, part of the institute now? Well, actually, as uh, I mentioned to you before, that Skip Atwater was the research director for about 20 years with the institute. He now has moved uh, into being the president of the institute, which has left a, a bit of a vacuum in terms of our research. We're in the process of uh, looking for a new research director. In fact, I've, I've uh, got somebody I'm pretty interested in. Uh, but once we, we're going to have to get through this economic crisis right now before we can find the funding to, to make that happen. But as soon as we do, we're going to get our research up and going. But we have been doing, uh, let me just say that in the past, our research has been uh, around the uh, technology of hemisync, its uses, its effects, and uh, you know, different methodologies have been used. We've also uh, used uh, some of our programs are designed to, to be research programs where we gather together and gather information of people as they're going out into these various realms and coming back and reporting what they're what they're uh, experiencing but we're also now uh, we've we've moved into looking at what some of the long-term benefits of the Institute and its programs are for people and so to some extent we, we we're moving uh, from a quantitative approach to research to a more qualitative approach because one of the one of the difficulties that you run into with this is that you can map brain waves all day long, but that doesn't tell you what the experience of the person is. And so True. we want we want to get at that experience, and we want to uh, gather as much information from that by uh, gathering the stories of what people have to say. We're also engaging in a, uh, the beginning of a relationship with the University of Virginia. They have what's called the Division of Perceptual Studies, which is an outgrowth of Ian Stevenson's work. Ian Stevenson did a lot of uh, research around the issue of reincarnation and uh, collecting stories of children who remember previous lives and remember how they how they died. And uh, that was the beginning of that of that division. But now they've moved into near-death experiences, uh, extrasensory perception, kin. Um, uh, PK type of uh, types of phenomenon, and so we're very excited about working with them as we move forward in the future as well. Does now does the institute do anything with um, like past life regression and anything along those lines? We we have a program that we call Timeline, where uh, it, that is the focus of of that work is to look at both past lives and future lives. And, and even simultaneous lives, too. Right. And um, and I'm going to run ourselves out of time here. This will be my last sure. question, I guess. Because um, this is something I've heard a lot. And this is, I've always had a remote interest in all this stuff. Um, I know when you start talking about timelines, and you have your past lives, your current lives, and future lives, um, one of the theories adopted by, by certain faiths and different um, aspects of this is um, each life is meant to build on the past, and each life you have certain goals, and the and the main goal of all your lives is to reach, you know, a pure, you know, 100% pure life. Um, do you find that, or do you, is that kind of a theory they had, that you've seen adopted or used? Well, uh, we, you know, as I mentioned before, we we try not to get into theories. We right. just we just want to create a context for people to do their own exploration, and then they can. They can use those experiences and apply them or modify their theories as they see fit. And so, you know, 
each I, I think if you were to talk to everybody on staff, everybody would probably have a different perspective on that based on on what their own thinking is. But the thing we don't want to do is to is to project that onto our participants. And so right. we work very uh, work very hard with our facilitators to uh, make sure that they retain a, a very neutral perspective in all of that. So I really think kind of the best way to really the best way to really describe it would just be you know to make the life you're living in now better and more enlightened and in tune with what's around you. Yep. Not a bad. We've got about two sure. minutes left. About sure. two minutes left. So I want to uh, tell everyone that that. Paul's book, Spiritual Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. I know you can find it on Amazon. Is, there, uh, is it in book, regular bookstores everywhere too, Paul? Uh, you can get it through Barnes & Noble. And, uh, you know, if it's not in the bookstore at Barnes & Noble, ask them for it and they'll get it for you. And, okay, uh, and that's also, basically the journey from your, uh, your, your childhood right up through to uh, you having your experiences at the Monroe Institute, correct? That's right. And but what I'm what I'm doing in the book is weaving together uh, the my own personal experiences, what you work at the Monroe Institute, but also trying to put that in a, a biblical basis so that people understand that that there is uh, some kind of a uh, thread here that is, that goes way back in time. Okay. And the uh, website address for the Monroe Institute. It is Monroe, that's M-O-N-R-O-E, Institute, that's all one word. So MonroeInstitute.org. We are not, we're a non-profit organization. Now, uh, okay, if you're a non-profit, uh, I guess a mm -hmm. question pops into my mind. Do you accept tax-deductible donations? We absolutely do. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> and uh, that's a good thing to know. All right, got a little over a minute left. Um, I want to tell everyone that... Uh, in September sometime when I can hook up with him we're we're going to have John uh, Corkum uh, here and I believe Paul you're probably familiar with him I am he's we, one of our facilitators at the Institute yep and he's going to talk to us a little bit more about the ghost investigating uses of hemisync I think and uh, Josh who did you say you had uh, coming up next week oh yes next week we will have the Reverend Wilson, um, he is a Native American and shaman, um, reverend, um, practitioner, Reiki master, clairvoyant, and I could go on for another two minutes about what he does, so I will just get it to you on, in words and put up on the webpage. Incredible guy, one of the best psychics I ever met. Very good. I want to thank, uh, Paul, uh, Rodemaker, I think I got it right, <laughs> for joining us. And I'm, and I'm sorry about all the technical difficulties we had this week, but I'm so glad you stayed with us, and uh, I hope to have you back on again. Well, it's been a real pleasure, Alan, Josh. Thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, thank you. The pleasure is mine. And uh, everyone, join us back here next Sunday at 7 p.m. right here on uh, Block Talk Radio. Uh, catch us at hauntedamericaradio.com. And uh, once again, thank you, everybody. Thanks, Paul, and thanks, Josh. The big orange monster with not much hair and teeth on his lips. He just stands there. Yeah.
door.